Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everybody. I've got a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the episode about Instagram and Theology Beer Camp. So I've been getting more active on Instagram, and I just want to let you guys know, in case you want to see me make some videos where I look directly into the camera, I'm sharing some stories and posts about basically all the topics that we cover on this show over at Instagram.com slash Dan Coke. That's C-O-K-E, and the link is in the show notes. Also, Theology Beer Camp is returning in 2024, October 17th through 19th. The theme is Return of the God Pods. That is a Lord of the Rings reference, which should surprise nobody. I will be there alongside Brian McLaren, Diana Butler-Bass, the New Evangelicals, Bible for Normal People, Tony and Josh from GGCH, of course, Trip Fuller and Homebrewed Christianity, and a whole grip of others. And you can use the promo code RETURNOFYHP, all one word, for $25 off your ticket. Prices go up starting June 1st. That link will be in the notes. I hope to see a bunch of you guys there in October. It was a serious highlight of last year for me. My name is Dan Koch. Like many of you, I've been on a complicated faith journey for a number of years now. And while I tend to find myself on the progressive side of Christianity, my goal is not to make liberal converts. I want this show to be a resource for Christians to my right and to my left, as well as former Christians and non-religious folks, anyone who finds themselves asking difficult questions about God, science, prayer, fate, suffering, evangelism, and more. So many of us have been given bad answers to those good questions, often by people with pure intentions. I want to say that you have permission to take both Christianity and the modern world very seriously. And I hope to facilitate that by introducing you to people seeking God across the Christian spectrum, engaging hard questions in a multitude of ways. Thanks for listening. Kristen Tideman, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Howdy. Good to be here. We don't have a title for you yet, but it's something around marketing and and media type stuff. Yeah. Yes. Marketing maven, media (laughs) mogul. Media mogul. Yeah. I'm smoking my cigar actually. And that's how you know. (laughs) That's the indicator. There are platinum records behind you on the wall. You, you, you have a tastemaker of the year award, uh, you know, where everybody can see it on the corner of your desk. Anyway, you're, you're doing some marketing and, and media type stuff for me, for us, for you have permission. And one of these ideas you had, I wanted to do some episodes where I am, it's less about a bunch of preparation. It's less of like me interviewing an expert it's a bit more freewheeling. 
I ha- I've been wanting to do stuff like that for a while. And then you came in with the idea of basing it on. On questions, user questions, patron questions. User, listener questions, patron questions. Yes. Remember how like you were like, oh, thanks for helping me get this event going when we did the lab event in Seattle. And I was like, I did. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, you had this great idea. You made it happen. You absolutely made it happen. Well, I think I executed it or helped it be executed. I did not remember taking that much of a part in the early stages, which is like, I'm I'm not saying that reflects on you. I'm saying I forget. And so you're telling me right now yeah. that this was my idea. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> but I do not remember. You don't remember it being your idea. Which is probably bad. Well, I'm going to get all my great ideas stolen. You can do the thing where like with uh, poor man's copyright for music, what you can do if you don't want to hire a lawyer or whatever is you can record something on a physical medium, like put it onto a CD with a lyric sheet and then mail it to yourself and don't open the letter and the postmark. If it's still sealed, will usually serve. So this is what I was told back in the day will serve as a good enough, like a court would accept that as evidence That's actually that you actually wrote it, not someone else based on the postmark date. So maybe you need to just start doing that, like doing voice memos and putting them onto <laughs> physical media and mailing them to yourself. I got all these floppy disks. I guess now you could probably email yourself maybe with the idea mm. and that would probably count. This was before email anyway. <laughs> wow. So we are, we're going to try this thing where Kristen pulls listener questions. We already have a bunch of these from a patron survey we did maybe six months ago, maybe a year ago, actually now. Mm-hmm. And we got it. We, and we also received a bunch of really great questions in person at the Seattle live event. So Kristen will be in charge of sort of fielding more of these. If, if this episode is fun, if people like it, if they want us to do more of them. So we'll get more questions from you guys, but we've got plenty to start with. And there's one kind of big one that I got in advance and I had some time to prep for it, but the rest of them are going to be off the cuff. This is our attempt to try and be a bit looser, a bit more conversational, something slightly different than the standard kind of more interviewee conversations that I have on most episodes. Is that is that right? Anything to add, Kristen? Yeah, I think that's right. We'll see if the kind of questions I've pulled and assembled are what you're expecting. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> uh, and and we're, of course, open to feedback. So shoot me an email or find find Kristen. We'll throw why don't we throw one of your like social handles or your email in oh. the notes for this one so people can reach out directly if they have ideas wow. about this format. Oh. You, are you comfortable with I that? Mean, Am I doxing you, know, you right now? I mean, it's it's <laughs> fine. It's like one day I have to fall in love anyway. So we might <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, and if you do submit feedback to Kristen and you are single, please include a pic <laughs> and a brief physical description. Oh, my gosh. OK, so. All right. So I asked you to pull a kind of looser, more funny, kind of simpler one, because for whatever reason today. Well, I know what reason. Our son woke me up uh, quite early this morning. I'm moving a little slow and the caffeine is still kind of working its way through. So let's start off with something, you know, not not so existential. So what do you have for me here? Yeah, well, this should be easy and straightforward, but uh, it's something I'd like to know the answer to. So how did you actually first become friends with Tony? And how did you start uh, Generation Gap Culture Hour going with him and Josh? Yeah, Tony Jones, uh, who is with with Josh Gilbert, producer Josh. 
our regular um, contributor for our Generation Gap Culture Hour episodes, which are on the Patreon feed. I first met Tony at the very first American Academy of Religion conference that I went to, which I want to say was around 2017-ish. It's also the it's the second time I met Tom Ord, and I met I met Kyle, who did the Virgin Mary episode. I met him and that that same time, but it was very brief. And then I must have gotten to know Tony through Trip, but mm-hmm. I'm not remembering. Maybe I'll have to ask Tony for this on on the next GGCH because. I don't, I don't know what I, what I do remember feeling is like, oh, I, I like talking to this guy. I think we actually kind of became friends over text. Like I started kind of texting him questions. The thing I remember really liking about Tony's perspective early on was kind of his like grumpusness, (laughs) you know, his Oscar, the grouchy. His curmudgeon vibes, you know, he's like 50% Oscar the Grouch. And I think sometimes he gets things wrong because of that, because I think that he leans too far that way. But I found it refreshing as like an additional perspective that he was kind of like, no bullshit. You know, the mainline church is failing, Dan. It's failing. The numbers are horrendous. That was my Tony impression. That's great. People aren't coming back to church, Dan. People don't want to hear a sermon. They're done. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) And like, that's like, you know, he'll say things like that. And sometimes they're only partly true, but like that kind of approach I found really refreshing. And so then at some point we were thinking of doing, well, we did the rise and fall of Mars Hill episode. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of when the first big thing Tony and I started doing and we did, I don't know, maybe like seven or eight of those on the patron feed when that podcast was blowing up yeah. and I just really enjoyed it. And so we were like, well, we need like, we got to figure out another way to kind of keep doing this. And and we came up with the idea of, you know, we're a different generation and, Oh, I think it was Tony's idea to bring Josh in as, mm. you know, eight, eight or so years younger than me. And that's kind of how it was born. But we kept that format of responding to kind of more current events, more kind of church news, that type of thing um, that came ported over from rise and fall uh, episodes. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Well, my new idea for Generation Gap Culture Hour is that you pretend to be Tony. Tony pretends to be Josh and Josh pretends to be you. And then, and then feelings will get hurt abundantly. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I love that pitch. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Awesome. Well, that's fun. I'm sure you've talked about that at some point, but I was like, oh, yeah, I want to kind of know this. And yeah. it sounds like listeners want to lo- know a little bit more about Tony as well. So let's dive into the big question that listeners have asked and that I have also wondered. And I know you've done some prep here. Excited to hear your answer. So when people on faith journeys have to kind of leave as exiles from their home communities because something's changed for them. It could be along this deconstruction sort of path or something else. Where and how do they then gather for embodied community? Yeah, this is a, a great question, a super common question. Lots of us, it applies to us. It applies to me to a lesser degree, I think, than than a lot of my friends, but maybe half of my friends total in my life have some version of this story and I get it. And also 
There is evidence that this is a very common concern amongst people for whom they've had some significant faith change. Like a recent Vox survey found that by far the number one reason that those who had left religions would hypothetically want to return was, quote, wanting a sense of community, Hmm. unquote. And there's an upcoming patron episode with Brandon Flannery, who did some research on TikTok about people who had left uh, the religious framework with which they were raised. And one of the questions he asked was, what is the thing you miss the most, essentially? And community was number one. And it was like two or three times higher than number two. Wow. Yeah. So this is just far and away the number one thing that people mention or seem to, you know, have an issue with upon leaving faith communities. So that's just the first thing. Let's just normalize that, right? That's a super common response. And maybe it would be weirder if this wasn't your experience. I mean, it's almost to that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that there might be some future solutions that don't yet exist that I'm interested in, like alternate models of church or spiritual community. I'm really open to that in principle and I think in practice, but I'm not aware of any like near me that have really caught my eye, but I'm, I am curious, like, is there a new sort of form of church to come that hasn't been developed or hasn't spread very far yet? I would be interested in that. It's not here now, at least not where I live. I I mean, do you, have you experienced anything like that, that you're aware of that is like intriguing to you? I mean, I think I've mentioned essentially a variety or flavor of house church, home church, which is like, I think the most, I mean, that that's like, I've seen a joke about this on Twitter. I can't remember who said it, but it was some seminarian who was like, you guys wait church in your house. You know, like it was something like the thing that everyone realizes or something. And there's something that speaks to that. Like it, But I think that's just because it's akin to like the group chat or the friend group that you kind of establish like these are my people. Yeah. And I think that's good. But it's also like it's not exactly church. It can fill some and maybe many of those needs. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I would say the one other thing I kind of think of of what I see people trying to do this is. At least a few years back, I haven't really followed them closely, but it's this, uh, the school of life people they have, it feels very ritualistic. It's very like, I mean, at least purporting to be psychologically informed. I don't know what you know about them, but mm-hmm. I, but they've actually, I don't know about it. Oh, okay. They do a lot of like very digestible kind of pop psych publications about a lot of different topics and have a lot of things to do with even romance and things like that. The one guy... Uh, what is his name? It's Alan something. I can't remember his last name. The found the founder, but Alan he has, de de Botton. That's it. Yes, he has a book that's like why you will marry the wrong person and all this stuff, and it's like kind of attention getting stuff. But I've seen him in talks where he's actually in a church, and I think they have some ritualistic practices involved, but it's kind of surrounding like learning. Like it is, it is something where it's almost like conferency or you know panel-y sort of activities but it's more emotional than that so I think that's like a stab at getting to people's hearts not just their brains which I think is a component of religion Mm -hmm. but I don't know I mean I I think it's a super challenging question for I mean yeah me personally so I'd be interested to hear some of your some of your suspicions about what these future options might be I have kind of more banal 
ideas like what if there was a mainline Protestant service that didn't have bad music? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, like, like there's some kind of simple things. It's hard for me to go too far down this path myself because I am personally, and so is my wife, we are drawn to liturgy. Mm-hmm. For me, like as Catholic as it can get is kind of what I'm looking for in terms of like the structure of the service and the the repetition of, you know, these honed words and phrases over the centuries. And that, I mean, we're, we're just kind of a bit flighty mentally as people and can struggle with concentration, both of us. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of grounds us. And I find that, you know, like I'm so constantly open to new thoughts and new experiences and, and new, like literally everything that if I could just go to mass or like an Episcopal liturgy or something and have most of it be the same or half of it be the same, that's just really grounding for me. So I'm kind of the wrong person to ask uh, in terms of what it should look like, because I think it probably would need to look more like an evangelical service to capture a greater percentage of people who'd be interested in it. It's, it's hard. It's hard to say because a lot of these sort of mega church type places that have gone, for instance, gay affirming yeah. or, you know, kind of opened things up. They all, you know, I, I applaud those churches. I think that they are making progress and typically they lose 75% of the people who go to them when they do that. Hmm. So it's, you know, it, it's not a sim, it's not an obvious answer. And perhaps by the time the larger culture would be cool with something like that, maybe churches have shrunk so much that it doesn't make much of a splash. I mean, I don't know. That's probably what Tony would say. Yeah. With his uh, pessimism. What would Tony say? Tony the curmudgeon, the great, <laughs> the epic. The Tony would say, give it up, Dan. Church <laughs> is dying. <laughs> something like that. The pastor and religious writer, Tony Jones, would say that. Pretty okay, so so there could be something new, mm-hmm. but let's talk about what exists now. Yeah. And the, the sort of most obvious solution that comes to my mind is you find embodied community in a different spiritual community. Mm-hmm. That's sort yeah. of like if you're exiled from your old one, the first thought is, well, what about a new one? And this is maybe not super common like in America more broadly to do this if you leave something like evangelicalism. But in our community, uh, at least of patrons of this show, I know that it is common and it appears to be the most common um, church experience of, of people who listen to your permission. So this is something that a lot of you already not only know, but have actually already done this. But in case you haven't, let's talk a little bit about liberal mainline Protestant churches, mm-hmm. which are kind of the the kind of go-to here. Although there are also options like Quaker meetings, Yo. which have like very little content. Especially in Pennsylvania, big Quaker, big Quaker spot. <laughs> big. It's, you could say it's Quaker state. Quaker state. You, yeah, you you got a lot of Quakers around you. You're, you're back home right now in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Do you have friends from Pennsylvania who are Quaker? No, which, which is, it is actually surprising. I have known some people who have gone yeah. to meetings and actually, one of my my second reader on my thesis project moved to Philly for like three months to do research on Quakers because again, it's the spot mm-hmm. to do it. 
But yeah, I've never gone myself, even though I think there's a Quaker meeting house, truly like a five minute drive from my parents' house. It's kind of surprising. I mean, maybe, man, now I'm going to be thinking about this. Like maybe I should. Have you ever been, you've never been never to been, one? Never been, which is actually. Let me describe oh, it. Yeah. Let me describe the experience I've had. So I, I've gone a couple times and the one I'm thinking of is a, a spot in Seattle. I'll lay it out. It looks a little bit like a Protestant church. Like there were pews. The pews were just kind of angled slightly more to, towards the middle, but there was a front and there was like a piano there. I don't know that we did any songs. I don't remember if anybody played any of the instruments that week, maybe a couple. The pews were adorned with, they were covered in these quilts. This is, a you know, Quakers and quilts. <laughs> this is like an old, the old yarn, yes. no pun intended, pun intended, I should say. <laughs> But it said in the little bulletin, it was cool. The quilts were made as part of a partnership with the Seattle Cancer Mm. Care Alliance. And basically the members of this church made quilts for, you know, the the patients. Yeah. And perhaps in, you know, doing something with the patients and involving the quilts. and, And that was like, that was pretty cool to have like, these physical things here that were connected to this very loving and compassionate project. But basically it's, it's silent. And if someone feels led, they stand up and speak. It's very like spirit led, Mm -hmm. uh, we might say. And it was quite meditative and calm. And I sat there mostly in silence Uh, from friends who have been more times, you know, I hear like sometimes nobody says anything. Sometimes it's quite a bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a little bit of structure around like, you know, what to expect or whatever, but it was very chill. So there are things like Quaker meetings, which are not quite like a a liberal mainline uh, service. Okay. So I grew up non-denominational. You know this, I've talked about this and essentially Baptist, like my parents grew up Baptist. So it's funny. You say Catholic, I am so much more drawn to like Catholic or liturgical tradition above anything that's spirit led or Pentecostal or yeah, mystical feeling in any way. Like, it's funny to me that like, there's so much going on there that I'm like, I love that. I think it's awesome. But the theology behind that is like, so not common to me or not understood by like, it's just so far from what I grew up with that it's hard to even get to a place where I'm like, could I even feel comfortable? Like it feels so wooey wooey. And I'm not even saying that it is. It's more like we were just told this was not the way growing up. So I'm not against it, but it's funny how much, how, how distinct that would feel from what I know to be church. But then at the same time, so I, I went to my parents' church on Sunday, which I have not gone there in. What kind of church is it? It's non-denominational. So it's the one I, it's actually the one I grew up in, but and I was going to go, I, I came and visited at Christmas and I was going to go then, but we actually got the time wrong and we pulled up and the service was ending and we were like super and we just turned around and left. But I actually went to the Spanish service. Dodged a bullet. Yeah. I kind of was like, is this God? God? Is that you? I was like, thank you. Um, <laughs> it's me, Kristen. It's me. I'm glad I didn't have to go to this service. Yeah. So I actually went to the Spanish <laughs> service on Sunday because I huh. kind of am like, I don't know. Everyone's talking about how they're traumatized by stuff, but actually like the whole thing, the music, the environment, seeing people from high school who are going to ask about my entire life, seeing people who I used to like 
really admire that now I don't like all of it's so jarring that I'm like, oh, like it's just kind of yeah. bizarre. So I went to the Spanish service, but and it's almost funny because it's like unfamiliar enough to take me out of that place of like anxiety. But then, I mean, I hadn't heard a sermon in so long that I was like, this is like, I just couldn't believe it anymore. I'm sorry. Do you speak Spanish? Oh, yeah. Like you're fluent in Spanish such that you could listen to an, a sermon and you, you understand oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I Okay, this is news to oh. me. This is, fan, this is a fantastic skill you have. <laughs> I thought, I'm sitting here thinking it's sort of like when I accidentally ended up at the Vietnamese mass in the... <laughs> <laughs> the Seattle Catholic church where I was like, well, this is interesting, but I don't really know what they're saying. Like, no, this is okay. You can understand it. Yeah. yeah, I get yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. I, I might not have mentioned this, but it would be hilarious. I did live in Ecuador for like three years. So I, uh, picked up on some. That's some right. <laughs> That's right. I have an awful okay. memory. I, I'm Swiss cheese over here. No worries. Yeah. I mean, it was just funny. It was like, it was like, God is watching you at every moment, not just when people are around. And I was like, whoa, like, so I don't know, man. You should probably stop going to evangelical churches. Yeah, that's what, that's what Sari says every time. I'm like, I'm like, I think I'm going to try and do this. And she's like, why? And I'm like, you know, that's a great question. <laughs> and I'm like, I think part of it, I know. I'm like, oh, right. I have such a hard time with this. But the thing that is such a bummer and this is like. I don't know. My parents are like so happy when I go with them to church. It's like, oh my gosh. Well, sure. Visiting your, you know, visiting family. Like I, I get it. There's, yeah. there's definitely trade-offs there. There are relationships that you might need to prioritize and, mm-hmm. you know, but, but le- okay. So let me talk about mainline churches because pitch this me. is pitch really, <laughs> here's the pitch. So these churches, for instance, like American Baptist, Episcopal, United Methodist, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, Disciples of Christ, Presbyterian Church USA, United Church of Christ. Those are examples of mainline Protestant denominations that tend to be theologically liberal or progressive. Mm -hmm. So they are not inerrantists about the Bible. They read the Bible through a more liberal lens. They tend to accept biblical scholarship, you know, from the various seminaries and, and kind of mainstream institutions, mainstream scholarship. They also tend to accept human reason and experience, including science Hmm. as equally, or sometimes even more valuable truth finding avenues Hmm. along with scripture and Christian tradition. They tend to focus on social justice issues. They tend to be populated by more Democrats than Republicans in the U S they tend to be more ecumenical and open to multiple streams of Christianity. They tend to even often be pluralistic acknowledging Mm. sort of the wide spectrum of human experience, often accepting other religions as viable paths to encountering the divine. And they also basically all ordain women and LGBTQ people as pastors or priests. So now these denominations are not thriving in America right now. They are on a a decline. Yeah. Spoiler (laughs) alert. Numerically across the the States and, and Ryan Burge might come back on, soon to talk with me about this in more detail. Evangelicalism is not shrinking. Mm. It is staying about even people. The data does not even show a meaningful change in people leaving evangelicalism, which offers basically brings up very interesting questions about 
then how come in our circles it is so widespread? Those circles must not be all that big or something mm, like that. Yeah. Uh, there are dozens of us <laughs> to quote, to quote Arrested Development. <laughs> you know, so, okay. But, but so these churches are not thriving in a lot of places. They might be smaller congregations. They might be full of a bunch of people with gray hair. You might have to try a few to find one that has some people your age, but they are like all those things I just said are beautiful, you know, and fit much better with the kind of approach to Christianity that I would say the average listener of this show would be comfortable with if that's what they're wanting. Yeah. Yeah. So any thoughts or, or responses or questions before I talk about how to find one of these churches, if that's something that people are interested in. Yeah. Have you heard of google.com? No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> let me, my, I have friends that will sarcastically send you a, let me Google that for you link <laughs> with the thing that I asked them about. Oh my gosh. Honestly, so rude. rude. Yeah. Joe, Joe and Robbie, I'm looking at Joe you. Joe and Robbie, we are looking. Anyway. Have you ever been to one of these services? Yes. Yeah, I have. And I think as a kid, I was what like, kind? I've been to, I've been to a fair amount. I mean, I've been to Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. I've been at some point, yeah. we went to some church in DC to see some choir at some point. Cause that's what we do as a family. I've been to certain flavors of reformed church, but I don't know the one that you said that would qualify as mainline. But yeah, not a ton and not in a while. I definitely would be, I think I've gone to, I mean, I've truly gone to so many services. I'm, I must've been to like at least a couple Anglican, but yeah, I think the thing that I am feeling when you're saying all this is like, do I want to have my cake and eat it too? Like I want community. I want to go to church, but I also just don't. And I want to stay home and I don't want to have to figure this out. Interesting. And you know, what's also yeah. funny. I don't know if I've said this to you. It's actually so annoying to go to church as a single person because mm. not only are you alone and people are like aggressively friendly, pretty much every church you go to, which is like, I'm friendly. I like it when people are friendly, but it's almost annoying. I don't know. Like it's so it's like, okay, I do have a recommendation around this. I, I think it applies not only to single people. It also applies to couples and families. I would really recommend finding a few people or a few couples or a few families or some combination of single individuals, married, whatever, yeah. and actually doing this search together. Mm, yeah. Trying out churches together. Number one, less awkward socially the one time you want to go and see what it's like, because you can sit with each other and talk with each other. And then number two, you might find churches where you like it, but there aren't that many people around that you would think are kind of your people. So if you were to start going together, then you could have an, you know, you, then you have a little friend group there yeah, and you have kind of something to start with. Like, it's almost like having your sourdough starter <sighs> or your scoby for making kombucha, oh you know, like you, you've got that there, you got enough to, to start with. And so that's, that's something that we, uh, have always wanted to do and may or may not enact that when we finally, you know, move up North. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I know I need to stop moving if I'm doing this though. Cause I like I have friends where I live right now who are, would totally be down, but I'm probably about to move. So yeah. rip, rip me. Yeah. No, that's a, it's a part of the issue. 
So if you if people do want to find one of these churches, the the actual best place to go is gaychurch.org. Whoa, yeah. It is a it's a listing of all churches that have like a full-throated LGBTQ inclusion policy. And I know that's not the only sort of theological or churchological issue here, but it's the best stand-in for kind of the larger suite of that type of things, mm-hmm. regardless uh, of whether or not a church makes it on to, to gaychurch.org, churchclarity.com actually checks every church that, that they can. And they give a they give a rating on both uh, women in leadership oh, and nice. queer questions. So they give two different ratings. So you can look up any church on church clarity and see if there's any kind of clear outcome, any clarity around what their stances are on those two oh, issues. Neat. So that's a that's a good tool. Yo, did yeah. you hear unrelated kind of, but did you hear the stuff, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention is like kicking out all the churches that have women in leadership and won't give up the women in leadership? Yep. But mm-hmm. it was like, I think it was Rick Warren's church that was like making us think about yeah. it, which I was like, oh, all right. Yeah, Rick Warren. Yeah, they, they got kicked out, I, I think, uh, for that. And Southern Baptists are going to Southern Baptist until... <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. I don't have a lot of, not a lot of uh, confidence that that things are going to go well in that corner of Christianity. The last thing I'll say on mainline churches is since COVID, so many of them have Facebook or YouTube streams of their services. So you can like literally scroll through, watch 10 or 15 minutes in the comfort of your home of like 10 different churches and get a sense of which one you might want to go check out. So that's just like kind of a cool technological thing that yeah. wasn't always there five years ago. Right, right. So at this point in time, I mean, f- we're talking about people who want to go to church, but I think it's related to... Well, we're talking about people who want to find community, technically. And a different church is one way to do that. Yeah, but I think like there's many people who have grown up without a religion or just nominally mm-hmm. religious who are also experiencing profound loneliness. And mm. I think that a dream or something I'd love to see for my generation, and I would say especially the generation after me, who I think has a bigger problem with this from all, I mean, it's not, I don't know all the studies, but the circumstantial evidence I see and just young people I know, there's so much more online that I think they actually, and, and then I think COVID kind of made it even worse where I think, you know, I'd love to see ways for them to connect. Like, do you think about this at all? Is this something, you know, even having kids where you're like, oh, yeah, there people are not as uh, socially plugged in as they used to be? Or is that something that you're kind of like, I'll worry about that down the road or it'll be different by the time Soren's older? We are thinking about it with him because he was born right before lockdown. Right. And so he's like a true COVID baby in the sense of, he has gotten a little shorter end of the stick in terms of playing with other kids, mm-hmm. you know, cause for the first mm, two years of his life, year and a half, two years, there were at least some restrictions around that stuff. Right. And we live in a part of the country where playgrounds are not very welcoming about half mm, a year because it's wet yeah. and cold. And, you know, so, so we're, we're kind of aware of that almost hyper aware of it just because of the timing of his birth I've seen a few things about like the loneliness epidemic and stuff like that. I haven't, I wouldn't say I know a ton about it or that I really know all the causes. I would imagine that people would point to internet and social media and, you know, just, just being online 
as not always being a proper substitute hmm. for in-person community. Yeah, I mean, I think actually some of the other answers, though, other than finding another church, are actually going to kind of directly address that in terms of they would address it even if what you're looking for is not a spiritual community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So another option is to join the New Evangelicals podcast community. Mm -hmm. uh, this is uh, Tim, who runs the New Evangelicals and, and hosts that podcast and does all their TikTok and Instagram videos. I chatted with him a little bit. They have an online community. There's a map that shows where other members live once you join. It doesn't give you their home addresses, uh -huh. but like their cities and, and neighborhoods even. And I asked him to sort of describe people's experience with these in-person meetups. And I have a quote from him. Quote, our community map has connected people who felt so alone in their faith journey to new friends in their area where getting asked to coffee is something you look forward to, not dread, end quote. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> it's a great pitch, Tim. So there's a, a link to their site in the show notes. There, there also will be a link to gaychurch.org and Church Clarity in the show notes. But that's an option. That's for people kind of right in this deconstruction podcast kind of a space. A lot of other people, and maybe some of them live near you, even if you live, you know, in Alabama or Kansas or something like that. Uh, you might be surprised. Even Alabama or Kansas. <laughs> even Quaker, even the Quaker even state the of Pennsylvania. Another idea I have comes from Mark Karras's book, Religious Refugees. This was episode 103 called Religious Disorientation and Growth. We'll put a link in the notes. But he's talking about people who go through, you know, a faith change process. And he uh, coined this term called the unholy huddle. I've mentioned it a number of times because I think it is a really helpful concept. It also kind of addresses what you're talking about, Kristen. So the idea of, in the context of his book is people who are going through faith change, they need one to three people, one to four people with whom they can be totally honest about their hmm, doubts, yeah. about the things that they're questioning. And it's sometimes best for these people to actually be non-religious because oh, wow. when when people have religious commitments, it can make us difficult to encounter other people's different religious commitments or doubts or questions or issues about the thing that we are committed to. Right. Because it's only a short internal step from Kristen's having doubts about this to am I going to have doubts about this? Right. Could this happen to me? Right. This leads to anxiety. And once people are anxious who knows what they'll do or say to kind of put out that internal fire mm -hmm. of their own anxiety to turn that temperature down. Th they might say things that sort of downplay whatever those issues are, not because they're trying to hurt you, but because they're trying to get rid of their own anxiety and they're worried that whatever you have is going to spread to them like chicken pox. Yeah. Yeah. And then they're going to, you know, or the black death maybe <laughs> to use a more medieval, you know, image. And, and so they're worried about, a contagion mm -hmm. essentially. So a non-religious friend or someone who has already gone through a bunch of change or, or even someone kind of at your same place, you know, anything therein, these are good candidates for an unholy huddle. And, and these unholy huddles might have additional benefit around community. Basically that's why I'm kind of including this uh, as one response to this question that can be online. It can be in person. If you are fortunate enough to live near each other, 
either way, it's some more community. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Do you remember that episode or have you had any experience with a group of friends like this in your own journey with your own questions? Yeah. Yeah. Well, something that you're saying about the anxiety, I think it also works the other way in that when I have questions, it's, it's not even just that some people try and downplay them, which I think that does happen. Yeah. Or I can see that it's causing them some level of anxiety, but at the same time, I almost have felt guilty or feel bad because I'm like, am I putting the thought in their head and they didn't even have it? Oh gosh. I felt that a thousand times. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I've, I've heard other people who have thought the same thing. Like, well, I'm worried about this, but I don't want to disrupt this other person. Cause it's hard. It's hard to ask questions mm-hmm. and know what it's caused in my own life. And I would feel, yeah, the responsibility of that for other people. So I think that's smart. And the only thing that's hard about having like a maybe unholy huddle or people that have not been involved in a Christian environment is that there is some component of, they don't truly get why it's such a big deal to me sometimes. Uh, And that's, what's challenging. Like I've got great friends from college that pretty much grew up, you know, without church and it's funny because when I was in college, I was trying to proselytize uh, right. secretly, as you know. But Of course. Yeah. So was I. Yeah, yeah. Weren't we all? But now I see them and, you know, I'll be like, ah, oh, things are a little different. But like, they're kind of like, cool, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, but it's been terrible, you know, and I, you know. I, yeah, I think for this, you this is the kind of thing almost like, you know, if I'm talking with a client who is like grieving a loss, right? I will sometimes ask them, like, who can you talk about this with? Like, what friends or family do you have that you could reach out to them and say, hey, my therapist says I need to spend some more time talking through this pain that I'm having, this loss that I'm grieving. Right? Can we do that? Can I call you once a week? Can Mm -hmm. we go out for coffee once a month? It's kind of a thing where you're basically asking someone intentionally to be willing to be there for you and show up as a friend. That's more the way that I take Mark's Mm, approach here. Yeah. Not a where like the most fun thing for both of us to talk about all things being equal is my deconstruction, (laughs) you know, but more like, Hey, would you be a sounding board for me? And those people often it is better if they don't have as many commitments that are going to sort of heighten their own anxiety around it. Yeah. Yeah. Out of curiosity, when you bring that up with clients, do you find that they have some hesitancy to find a person like that? I would say most clients do have a couple people in mind pretty quickly and sometimes they don't. And then and they might, yeah, they, they might still be hesitant, but I don't know. I, I think that most people have a couple people in their lives where when you ask the right question about kind of deep supportive community uh, or just relationship or whatever, most of my clients have somebody yeah, or or more or more than one person. You know, it's often like at least one family member and then maybe at least one friend kind of a thing or a sibling, you know, something like that. And I do think it can be awkward for people to to ask. Mm -hmm. But by the time you're in therapy, you're usually there because things have gotten pretty bad. Yeah. And so, you know, you're kind of more willing than the average person to take a risk like that and ask that kind of a question. That's thus far been my experience. I'd be curious if 
other therapists have a different experience. Yeah. I mean, I, the reason I ask is partially because I have a number of friends I can think of who I have, I would say pretty deep conversations with, and this is how I know they would, I think, feel too awkward to ask anyone to commit, not even that they don't want the support. There's something, and maybe I even see it a little bit more among women and maybe specifically women brought up in the Christian environment, that to be a burden to someone else is the worst thing you can be. Where, Mm, where, and I wonder, and I've heard people use that language, but, and also I've heard a lot of people say, I feel very alone in this, even though Mm. I know they're quite popular or have a lot of friends, because I think a lot of people have, yeah, trepidation around yeah, being a bummer or being a burden to others. And I wonder maybe, yeah, maybe it might be generational. I just noticed it even while you're talking, trying to imagine different friends. And I'm like, I think I'm one of their closest friends. I think they would feel bad asking me to support them in this way. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's real. And in a client situation, we would then sort of address that, Mm. right? So you play that tape out. What'll happen if you ask, you maybe ask them to think of an individual person do you think that Deborah would actually find this to be burdensome? And then usually they'll go, well, no, Deborah like really loves me. Okay. You know, so like, but, but the, the principle there of, well, don't, don't bring this up with people because you'll be a burden. That kind of general principle that somebody has absorbed and applied to themselves, whether or not they realized it, right? Like that might be not true, in yeah. the specific cases of people that love them. Right. But sometimes it, it takes somebody asking those questions for them to realize that that's actually not true yeah. of the people in their life that love them, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I just think, I mean, totally. I think there's so many people who, there. it's it's funny, almost anyone I can think of, they would go so above and beyond to help anyone who asks them for help, and yet they right. don't want to ask it for themselves. So one way of talking about that stuff is is the language of core beliefs, which is in a lot of, cognitive therapies. So core beliefs are these like enduring assumptions about ourselves or about the world. And a lot of these come from childhood for sort of obvious reasons, right? We, we spend so much time as children around our families, around our communities growing up. If we spend a lot of time in church, there are all kinds of core assumptions about people, about human interaction, about love and sex and, and, even even manners, right? Society, uh, different cultures imbue all these different kind of core beliefs about people in general or the world in general, as well as that we can apply to ourselves. And those things go really, really deep. And often we w- can go through our whole life never questioning whether or not they're true. Mm-hmm. E- even oftentimes we will totally not believe that they're true if someone asks us. Yeah, yeah. But- it, it takes being asked. Right? right. So I always find that stuff, those, those deep core assumptions, like, you know, that's the stuff I love. That's, that's the existential kind of now we're getting down to the the nitty gritty meat of a person. And that's the stuff I think I'll always be interested in. Yeah. Well, so. and that's, I mean, I'd be curious. There's, there's something, again, I turn back to the Christian upbringing and maybe the mentality of like, I am third, you know, and what God, other people, and then you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I wonder if that 
sort of mentality contributes to, well, I can't worry about myself because I have to think about God and I have to think about others. And I don't know if you... I'm sure it does. Yeah. 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 And then, so like, well, we'll, we can move out. We can move on after this. But like, you know, if I have a client struggling with something like that and they are a Christian, you know, I might ask them about love your neighbor as yourself. Mm, I'll say, what do you, what do you think Jesus meant by as yourself? What's that part mean? Whoa, crazy. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's a good, yeah, because he didn't say more than yourself. Right. That's not in there. Right, right. So, you know, there's, there's, there's ways even within the, within the tradition to kind of, kind of jar stuff loose. Guys, there is so much going on in Patreon land these days here at You Have Permission. This month, we've got at least three exclusive episodes coming your way. Extra content for an upcoming Shiny Happy People uh, response episode. We've got a new Generation Gap Culture Hour with Josh and Tony where we talk about aliens as well as whether or not to have kids and various concerns uh, that different people of different generations have had or are having around that question. It's really interesting to contrast Josh's experience of that and his friends with Tony. Uh, and the aliens talk is actually quite good, I think. And I unveil what I think is a pretty rock solid argument against spending too much time speculating about aliens while also being quite confident that they are out there. So if you want to hear uh, the three of us talk about that, make sure to listen to that episode. And if you're not a patron yet, you can become one patreon.com slash Dan Coke. That link is also in the notes. It's five bucks a month. And it also comes with access to the patron only Facebook group, as well as ad free and longer edits of these main feed episodes, which you can put all that patron content into your podcast player, the same place you're listening to these main feed episodes. You can add in the uh, RSS link, which is just like a, it's basically just a website link that you copy and paste in there. And in fact, maybe Patreon has made it even easier. You can just click a button and it will kind of do that work for you. And you subscribe to that patron feed and boom, Bob's your uncle. So if you're considering, if you're on the fence, it's a really good time to join. Thank you guys so much for your support. Okay, so moving beyond religion Mm -hmm. to just other forms of embodied community, there is Meetup. Have you ever used Meetup? (laughs) The it's technically it's technically social media, but doesn't have like followers and likes like other social media. Yeah. Have you ever have you used it or heard of it? I have. Yeah. Have you gone to any Meetup? events i i mean i used to go to a lot of events but i think some of them might even have been like cross-listed or something like that i know when i was in portland for a little while i was on like the hiking meetup but i don't think i went on any then i've done definitely meetup sort of things like when i lived in ecuador i actually did like an insta meet which was like instagrammers meeting up which i'm not like a i'm not it was more or more photographers i guess yeah so sort of at least bunch of influencer bunch of ecuador photography influencers getting an opportunity to take you know highly stylized photos with some product placements what was that one like 
Uh, it was fun. We went to what is the equivalent of Central Park in Quito, Ecuador. And oh, nice. There's yeah. like actually there's a plane in the middle of the park. So obviously we were standing on the plane like Justin Bieber in Iceland. <laughs> It was it was fun. It was kind of ridiculous. Like yes. there was some really silly props. Like someone brought bunny ears. I was like, "What's the deal?" I was like, "I don't know about this," but it was fun. What is this? A, a millennial wedding? Uh, okay, so <laughs> meetup is like it connects people with similar interests for in person gatherings. Like I did a I did a quick search near me in North Seattle for the keyword Christianity, and I found like some ex evangelical coffee and board game meetups. In Seattle, I found an LGBTQ Christian Portland group. Mm. I found a Christian meditation group in Vancouver, BC. So you could just try some different keywords, see if anything pops up that's interesting to you. That's meetup. There's another option. I do have to say, uh, this is just my own personal experience, but if you want friends, like just, you know, take an improv class, just take an improv class. Hey, improv (laughs) class. Okay, there you go. Plus, you'll you'll learn skills that make you better at podcasting. That's right. I found a, a good article on the website queertheology.com. And one of the co-founders of that website, uh, Shannon, is going to be joining me for a future episode. Ooh, nice. We have not recorded it yet, talking about his book. Anyway, the article addresses this exact question of where to find community after being exiled from a church. Obviously, the context here is not all people who are themselves queer identifying, but you know, them and allies and whatever. Um, it's actually the, the website's a pretty great resource. Nice. I'll link to this article, but this article recommends starting by thinking less about how specifically you'll find community and rather starting thinking with about what are your own values? Like what hmm. matters the most to you? And I, I really loved this approach because I do this a lot with clients. I find that it can be incredibly powerful. And I even do it in a less organized way with myself. But like, if you, you think about what's most important to you and you can find these kind of values worksheets. In fact, Josh bug me to send you one and we can put a link to one of these. There's a, there's like a self values exploration tool uh, that I have like sent to clients to do as homework that anybody could kind of fill out themselves. So if they want to, we'll put a link to that in the notes but you, you can identify values like in, in family, in career, in leisure, in, you know, arts and aesthetics, right? So you can kind of, and then you can even like rank them. Hmm. Like these are really kind of my biggest values. And if you start there, then you can start thinking, okay, well, what are the kind of activities that line up with those values or that address those values? So, and those could be political values, environmental values, food or cooking focused, you know, exercise or fitness, you know, nature focused, arts focused. It could be a volunteer organization. It could be taking a class. It could be local community events. If you're looking for something that's volunteer based, volunteermatch.org is a great site for finding volunteer opportunities Hmm. in your physical area. I did a little bit of this at the at the risk of uh, you know letting my left hand know what my right hand is doing and publicly <laughs> broadcasting my good deeds, uh, I guess I'll take that risk, Kristen. <laughs> I before I started this podcast and before I was in grad school and I had a bit more free time, 
when I was just writing ad music and, and, you know, I didn't, you don't do that like eight hours a day. You, you, your brain kind of can't do that Mm -hmm. eight hours a day. I was giving rides to senior citizens to like medical appointments. Oh, nice. And I used to drive a Toyota Avalon, which is like a fucking boat of a car. Like it's, it is what old people drive. So they were very comfortable in my full size sedan. And honestly, it was very meaningful. It, it felt very in line with my values. I had the time to spare also before kids. Yeah. And I would like, you know, I'd bring a book with me and I would just sit in the waiting room during their 40 minute appointment or something. And and I would talk with them on the way there and back. And I, I met some really interesting people who had really actually lived some incredibly interesting lives. And it was great, you know, so so there are things like that. Now, that wouldn't have provided me much embodied community, to be clear. Yeah. That that wasn't the reason I was doing it. I was doing it to, like, have something meaningful to do, you know, three hours a week, you know, in between. Find some meaning work. in life. No. <laughs> exactly. But I think that it, it does illustrate sort of if you start with values, hmm, yeah. you know, you might find something like you know, if you love movies, like a, uh, a film screening group or something like that, and then boom, now you're around a bunch of people who also love films. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I like that idea. Yeah. Oh, I'm so touched by this picture of you driving, uh, people around. <laughs> I love it. Have you ever, have you ever done any like values work or, or talked or, or thought about, you know, stuff that's closest to your heart? like explicitly in the language of values or, or sort of discernment around that? I feel like with my therapist in Canada, I did like a little bit of this, but not mm-hmm. maybe as deep as like, I can't even remember what they all are. So I think it could have been more profound. I look forward. I look forward to receiving your filled out self-exploration values. Yeah. <laughs> I need <laughs> I need. <laughs> cool. Okay. Two other angles that I want to address that also kind of come from this queer theology piece. It's worth recognizing that finding embodied community might be difficult after a church involvement because so many churches either explicitly or implicitly teach that they should be your full spectrum source for everything in your life that you need. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And there are some people for whom this is true and it's good. It It is helpful in their lives. I have no problem with people who are basically loving to others and get most of their needs met through church and their friends from church. But I think that that vision is kind of hard. Like once it's out, once that genie's out of the bottle, it might be harder to put it back in. Hmm, yeah. And so so there's kind of, to get a little bit wheezy, there's a practical version of that problem and a more emotional or theological version of that problem. The practical version is that you might need different groups of people, different relationships or activities to meet different needs, hmm. right? So it just might not make sense to do it. Right. And since you're no longer in an all-encompassing church community, like one group or one regular activity type might not check all your boxes. Like a meal with friends might do something that a board game night doesn't do or a book club or a yoga or fitness class or political action or volunteering group. Right. Like these are just going to scratch different itches. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to normalize the fact that you might need to look in different places as a 
practical matter mm-hmm. to, to get these, this community met. It might not be a one-stop shop to replace it in your life. That's the yeah. sort of practical angle. Any thoughts on that? Uh, no, I mean, I think it's the Atlantic that's been putting out a somewhat similar sentiment surrounding friends that like, you don't need to even get mad at your friends if they can't do everything you need to have a fulfilling life. It's like, don't blame your bestie, get more friends because not everyone can do everything. So yeah, you're, I love uh, that. that's yeah. yeah. So there's also though, this interesting kind of emotional theological consideration. I want to turn this into a kind of a mini series at some point, or maybe even a book someday. It's one of my favorite ideas that I've come up with. And I just want to kick it around with you for a few minutes here Yeah. as a kind of a teaser. People, please feel free to write in and let me know if you want more on this because I'm intrigued by it. I call it my infinity hangover. Have I told you about this yet? (laughs) I don't think so. I'm excited. Okay. So it's basically this idea that like, I grew up thinking that much of what I was engaged in, if it was faith related at all, had literally infinite stakes. Yeah. So it had heaven and hell, God and the devil. If I quote planted a seed Uh and contributed to God's work, I was doing the absolute best and most important thing I could possibly be doing in that moment. Yeah. Whereas now viewed through a certain lens, I am merely working in this world. Okay. Yeah. Even if I'm working with clients even if I'm volunteering for the poor, whatever, right? Like, well, it's not infinite. It's not heavenly. It is like merely this world. There's a kind of a Gnosticism kind of baked in there Hmm. to that cake that I don't think is true, but like still exerts like emotional pressure. You know what I'm saying? What explain that more. I'm curious. What's the pressure? The pressure is like to be doing something that matters more. Yes. And even when I'm doing stuff that I do think matters, like making this podcast, a little part of me is always nagging me like, yeah, but like, it's still not, it doesn't matter as much as you used to think this other stuff mattered. It's not like, it's almost like maybe not giving as much of a dopamine hit or something like that because the stakes are lower. Yeah. And this, I think is kind of related to the idea of not finding everything in a church community again Mm -hmm. that, Oh, maybe I have to piece this stuff together from different sources. And, and that there's something kind of to me that feels inherently less than Mm -hmm. about that approach, even though I don't actually think it's less than, (laughs) but it feels that way. I can't get my emotions to match my thoughts. Is this like like nihilism light? (laughs) No, it's not nihilism because it's still, because I still can totally find activities that align with my values and even really deeply held values. Mm -hmm. It's not nihilism. It's not nothing matters. Things still, for me anyway, things still matter, but it's hard sometimes to feel like they can possibly matter as much as they used to matter. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. Which I mean, infinite stakes. Yeah. That's going to be. Yeah. Hmm, this is so interesting to me because, well, it's just, you know, I mean, this is even like theory of mind stuff. Like what's going on for you? And there are times I'm walking around and the things that are bothering me, I am like, why is this not bothering everyone with like some of my yeah. existential woes? Uh, uh-huh. However, 
I also know they didn't used to bother me, even, you know, when I was in a fairly right. progressive state. So it's funny, like, I think I just felt like everything I did was sanctioned when I was like fully in the, it's all for eternity. But I also think I was living in a weird way that like ah, nothing, almost nothing mattered as much before because heaven and infinity mattered so much more. And now yeah. I'm almost in a flipped state where I'm like, ah, like it matters a lot because it might be it, which is a whole other conversation. But so I'm having a different experience than you. That's a, ooh, we should put a pin in that. I think I'd like to talk more about that on another episode of like, yeah, because, and I've heard that from other people that the finitude makes things feel like they matter even more because yeah, there's another way of approaching what I was talking about, which is, well, yeah, we're here on this earth, but we're just passing through. We're just traveling. That was me. And the real thing me. is to come. Yes. Right. I think that I'm a natural evangelist. I, I don't mean that just in the gospel sense. I mean it like I started a music podcast because I just love sharing music with people. Like I, totally. I just love sharing things with people. I post about movies I love and TV shows I love and books I love, you know, almost compulsively because I just like <laughs> to, to share the good news of season two of the bear, you know? And <laughs> so that's just like my personality. And I think that that action feels like it has less, weight to it if the stakes are lower. Mm -hmm. I wonder I wonder how much that would explain the discrepancy there. But anyway, we'll we'll, we'll have to dive into those existential yeah. waters another time. I I do want to put a pin in it. Um the last thing I'll really quickly say about this before we do a couple more kind of rapid fire questions yeah. to close out is there might be motivational or behavioral blockages here for people. So often we know what we ought to do or even want to do. That's not the same thing as actually doing it mm. right. Like most alcoholics know that alcohol is killing them. That doesn't mean that they are able to stop drinking easily. Yeah. And around stuff with church, you know, if you have trauma or have experienced some harm or abuse, you might have triggers that cause anxiety or panic or that cause other kind of PTSD like symptoms, avoidance, you know, it, it might not be so straightforward to step mm, into mm -hmm. another church, for instance. You might be feeling depressed if you're lacking community, and that's going to affect your motivation to try any of these things. <laughs> so I just that's just one yeah. more gloss to maybe that, that may apply to some listeners is like, oh, maybe the issue is not knowing the resources. It's actually mustering the strength to try them. Yeah. And in that case, I would say what you need is not resources. You need help with whatever, you know, the the sort of mental health issue is that's that's getting in the way there. Yeah. Well, I guess I need help with my mental health issue. Ha <laughs> ha. Just kidding. Kind of. <laughs> I do. Okay, think So that was a, a long answer to that, to that yeah. embodied community question. But it's a but it's such a common question and there are kind of a lot of answers to it. So I hope that wasn't too laborious for people. No, I mean, I think it's exciting to talk about and even to get the wheels spinning, you know, of just, yeah. oh, what could I do? What options are there? How do I yeah. want these changes? But I think the biggest thing is, I hope a lot of people will be like, all right, let me go figure out my values if I haven't. And that might help give me some direction with this. So, yeah. So yeah. I'm feeling grateful. I'm feeling blessed. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Jeez Louise. Okay, you got do you have a do you have a couple more for me? We'll we'll do some shorter ones here. Yeah, all right. These are ones I don't I didn't prep for. And by the way, in the future, I'll try not to prep so much, but that question really I felt like there was a lot of angles and I kind of wanted to cover it all. Yes, yeah, he kept turning the pages of his printed documents, looking at his finger, turning the page, page seven. My finger, <laughs> throwing pages behind me. It's not this one. It's not this one. <laughs> oh my gosh. Dead. Um, all right. So here are the rules. You can just say, nope, I'm not answering this if it feels unfun. Okay. It should feel fun. Okay. Um, some of these... I just want to know the answer to, and you might know, and you could stay. No, I'm not going to be offended. I'm just curious. So first one okay. is from a listener. Just go with your gut on whether you want to do it or not. How can we change the evangelical church's response to climate change? In the broad scope, I don't think a ton can be done in the short term. Okay, I think Tony. No. <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, right. I'm channeling Tony. At the moment. The bulk of the evangelical church is so wedded to a right-wing approach to culture war issues, which include climate issues now, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. You know, we we just, we attach Green New Deal to AOC, and then now we can just poke fun at it. And basically, we can relieve any cognitive dissonance we might have about the actual changing climate and environmental issues. I think there's some percentage of evangelicals who are persuadable on this issue. And there's some percentage of evangelicals who already care deeply about the climate Mm -hmm. and they just, you know, I mean, deeply, I don't know how much they do about it. Some of them maybe, maybe do a lot. Uh, If they're voting Republican, then they are not doing much at the national level at the policy level, which is in my mind, unfortunately the, the greatest levers that we have for ameliorating climate change. There are some people, though, who are doing work that is aimed at an evangelical population. Mm-hmm. There's an organization called Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. Wow. So that's uh, yecaction.org. You could look for resources here to share with like an evangelical loved one, for instance. I can't find uh, this other woman's name, but there are a handful of authors, speakers, writers who are coming from an evangelical perspective and what they tend to, the the term they tend to use is creation care. So maybe that's just a term Mm -hmm. that people can, can look up. If you're wanting resources, look for creation care type stuff. That is, that's the way. And I actually think that that's really smart. That's the way to reach more conservative people about this issue, or at least conservative Christians is to frame it theologically with some, some language that they will be able to connect to Unfortunately, you know, climate change and stuff and global warming and phrases like that are perhaps beyond rescue in a lot of people's minds because of the political and cultural media that they have consumed. And that is uh, very sad. And man, you want to get into some nihilism. Mm -hmm. That's that's where I would go. Not not with religion. I'll go sociopolitics. Yeah. But yeah. So that's. Those people are doing the best work. I'm not sure how many evangelicals they can sort of bring into their camp, but but that would be that would be the approach. Whoa! All right, nice. That was good. Okay, I'm going to ask a question that is going to help me with another question. As quickly as you can, or as succinctly as you can, can you describe the difference between clinical psychologists? 
psychiatrists, counselors, therapists, and other sort of adjacent degrees. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is dangerous to do this without prepping and making sure I'm getting it exactly right. <laughs> Part of the problem is that different states have different terminology okay. also for different types of licensure. But but here is a basic answer. Psychiatrists go to medical school. Yes. They primarily work with meds with their patients. And most psychiatrists, as I understand it, have like 30 minute sessions oh. with their patients. Oh. They are there for medication management, discussing how the meds are working, whether to try something else. They, some of them do have training in psychotherapy, and it used to be more common that psychiatrists would do both. Mm -hmm. But there is so much demand for psychiatry that, as I understand it, they literally don't have time to do one-hour sessions Wild. unless they have sort of chosen to exit the race. Uh, but basically, many psychiatrists are backed up, backlogged, oh. waiting lists. Yeah. And so that's what psychiatry is now practically speaking, mostly about medication management, which is extremely helpful. I have a lot of clients that I see as their psychotherapy, their talk therapy, you know, I'm their therapist mm -hmm. and they have excellent psychiatrists who are managing their bipolar mm. medication okay. or their, you know, whatever medication. And that's good because I don't want to have to be doing that. Some states are proposing legislature that would allow doctor level psychologists to prescribe some medications oh, okay. with additional training, it's controversial. I'm I probably won't go that route because of my own kind of career plans. But some of my colleagues, for instance, we just finished uh, coursework for the doctorate. Yeah, I'm congrats. very happy to be done with that. Thank <laughs> you. Still need to do something to properly celebrate that. Uh, some of them are planning to do that if that becomes possible in Washington. So yeah. that's psychiatrists. And, okay. and just a quick question. So that includes things like even Adderall, like that sort of yep. prescription. Okay. Mm -hmm. So only yeah, ADHD meds. Yep. Totally. OCD meds, mm -hmm. anxiety, depression meds, bipolar, you know, whatever. Yeah. Okay. You have to get it from a psychologist, from a psychiatrist. Well, you can also get it from a, just a, oh. a regular doctor. You're so I would say for my clients over the last couple of years who have been on meds, Maybe 50-50 or maybe even like 70-30, their primary care physician has been the one to give them their mental health meds, and then psychiatrists would be the others. Does your insider recommendations play any part in that, uh, or is that like a separate thing entirely? It's a thing that we can do. I have occasionally been in touch with a client's doctor or psychiatrist if it seemed warranted, mm. if I thought there was something coming up in sessions that... That if I were them, I'd want to know. Right. But I, I could count that on one hand. Okay. But it, it does happen sometimes. Yeah. So then you would call yourself a therapist or a counselor, or is there a distinction there? Yeah. So, for instance, there is like the American Counseling Association, something like that, which is different than the American Psychological Association. Oh. Okay. So the APA, which is my group, because I am training to be a clinical psychologist, or a licensed psychologist, I should say. I don't even really, some of these words, it's really state to state and stuff, but <laughs> psychologists, that requires a doctoral degree. Yes. Counselors generally require a master's degree. A lot of people can do therapy. So yes. a psychiatrist can do therapy. 
A psychologist with a doctoral degree can do therapy. A counselor or a marriage family therapist or something along or a licensed mental health counselor can do therapy. Also, clinical social workers with master's degrees can do therapy, but they would probably be associated with a social workers association, not a counselors association. But all of these kind of big, you know, associations, they all agree on a lot of the main stuff. They're not like in a lot of contention with each other. They are just professional boards and bodies that govern, you know, the ethical and sort of evidence-based practice of the people that are a part of them. So counselors tend to have a master's degree and psychologists have to have a doctoral degree, but you could, I mean, you could, you could self-identify as a counselor if you thought that that was a word that your clients would, would find better. Like maybe if you're working in an evangelical setting, you might go, you know what, probably better to call myself a counselor than a psychologist because there's a bunch of people who are kind of skeptical of science, <laughs> you know, or or something like that. And mm-hmm. and you could have the exact same credentials that I'm going to have, for instance, but refer to yourself as a counselor if you thought it was in the best interest of your clients. Interesting. So then like when people go to premarital counseling, but it's just from a pastor, for example. Right. So though that person is probably not a licensed counselor. Yeah. Uh, in a meaningful sense. Counseling is also a word that has multiple meanings, right? It can mean something more kind of premarital counseling. Some of it can be more casual, mm-hmm. but like when we did it, we went through like a book, right? you know, and right. they had like kind of a, a notebook with some common exercises and homework that they gave us. It can also be sort of more rigorous than that. Like there are different approaches to premarital counseling that are more or less psychological for, for lack of a better term or more or less research-based. I would imagine that there are people who do premarital counseling based on the Gottman's oh, yeah. sort of super rigorous research. I wish that that's what I had done as premarital <laughs> counseling. That would have probably been better than what we did, but we chose to, well, anyway, I won't get into the the type that we did. That's maybe just a little too much um, personal <laughs> disclosure there, but it was, let's just say we, we, we chose it for a number of reasons yeah. uh, to, to make our transition into marriage smooth in our <laughs> nice. lives. So, and we anyway, will all yeah. be guessing what he's talking about. <laughs> Just kidding. The one thing we must remember also is there is only one wonderful counselor. So, you know. <laughs> okay, the one He last... goes by many names. Yes. <laughs> but not a psychologist. No. Um... The thing I was going to say is I have seen a little bit of titter chatter on TikTok about how like someone gives an opinion. They're like, well, this person's only licensed to this degree. Like they're only a licensed clinical counselor, or a licensed right. marriage and family therapist. But I'm a psychologist. And or, so there's things where not yeah. like it's um, the end all be all, but like s- some minor disputes and people giving In advice. some cases, that's probably a legitimate thing. In some places, mm-hmm. it might be kind of like a petty you know, one-upsmanship. I will say the reason that I refer to myself currently as a therapist and not a psychologist is that I am not a licensed psychologist yet. I still have to get more clinical hours and I have to pass a licensure exam and do all that stuff. I have to get my dissertation finished and then I will be a licensed psychologist. Uh, But until then, I'm just a therapist because I I do therapy. Mm -hmm. I have my own clients, but I'm under supervision under someone else's um, psychologist license. Yeah. 
This is very cool. I, I'm so interested by this. And I think a lot of people are interested in pop psychology to some degree, you know, and mm-hmm. various levels yeah. and investigating more. But even like anything I've heard, you know, you reference the Gottmans. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like the information I've seen very limited about them is like amazing. And Gottman's it's really stuff is rad. It's really yep. helped with my marriage. Um, so, yeah, uh, <laughs> no, that doesn't exist yet. Um I was going to say the it's one already helped with your potential future marriage. Let's Kristen. go. Amen. Um, Thank you, John and Julie Gottman. <laughs> yes. So the one other thing is how do you distinguish all of that from cognitive, cognitive science or cognitive psychology? Cognitive psychology is, or cognitive therapy, let's say, is a group of therapeutic modalities that come from the work of Aaron Beck and other people in the mid 20th century Mm. who developed what is called the cognitive model, which is basically the idea that our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors all influence each other. And so, and what cognitive therapies tend to do is intervene at the cognitive or thought level. So, one way of saying it is if you change your thoughts, you can change your feelings and your behaviors. Okay. It's also true that if you change your behaviors, you can change your thoughts and your feelings. And if you change your feelings, you can change your behaviors and your thoughts. But, but we tend to intervene at the thought level. Uh, this is my understanding. I hope that I'm correct. There are people who have more years of experience that might be like shaking their fist at their podcast app. <laughs> but like, you know, so we have all these ways of thinking that are distorted. We call them cognitive distortions. They're Mm -hmm. very common. Everybody does them. We do them all the time, but we do them more when we are anxious or depressed. And we do them more under other circumstances as well. Like when we are physiologically aroused, for instance, meaning heart rate and, you know, sort of, um, palms are sweaty, knees tingling. Yeah. Palm. Exactly. (laughs) Palm sweaty, knees weak. So cognitive distortions are these kind of, I'll give you an example. So all or nothing thinking is probably the most common example Mm. of a cognitive distortion. All of us do that. Sometimes we turn complex situations into a black or white binary, Mm. a a yes or no, or all or nothing. And very few things in life are all or nothing. There are some things that are all or nothing, but, but most things aren't. And so for instance, we might have a situation where, you know, I answered one question too long today and I think back (laughs) on it later and I might go, man, I suck at podcasting. <laughs> and and someone might go, well, Dan, that's, that's interesting. You say you suck at podcasting. There seems to be some evidence that you're fairly good at podcasting. <laughs> might it just be you made a mistake podcasting today? Mm. And then I'm, if I'm, if I'm thinking clearly, I would go, that's true. I don't suck at podcasting, but I answered that question poorly. And yeah. that's a non black and white, non all or nothing way of, of saying it. But it can feel in the moment like I suck at podcasting yeah. because I'm doing all or nothing thinking. You know, I'm. it's so funny. This is such a little thing, but I'm really glad you're bringing this up because I do this more than I realize. And I, I think especially in times of transition and, and change, I'm trying yeah. to look for patterns in my life where I'm like, what am I what have I done well that succeeded or this or that? Mm-hmm. And like when there's not a consistent answer, I'm like, well, what? Oh, I don't know if I'm good at this, you know, and it's funny that you're like, let's not even try and make this summary statement about each of these components. And I, I don't know. I just think it's a great reminder. So uh, who knew that would, I'm going to be lighter after this chat for that fact alone, let alone all the other great reasons. 
I really like working in cognitive therapy. The way that I kind of describe it in one sentence to people is that my favorite thing about cognitive therapy is that it takes our thoughts and it places them up against reality as well as we can. Mm, yeah. And sometimes reality is is dark and we need to acknowledge it and mourn it. And there's real pain there. But because of the way that we commonly utilize these distorted ways of thinking, usually rea- if we can put it up against reality, we actually feel better. Yeah. Not by sort of, not a kind of Pollyanna, like, well, everything's going to be okay. Like a just sort of, a bandaid approach where we're just trying to, well, just think positive, look on the bright side. No, no, no. Like look at reality. And in most cases, when there's something that we are depressed or anxious about reality looks better than what we are telling ourselves. Mm, And so reality is actually a balm to the mind and the soul in that sense, uh, because things are not as bad. Okay. You want me to, I'll give you the example I, I use with every client. Oh, when okay. I'm des- when I'm describing this. So I was doing Noom back in like December, January, February, trying to lose some weight. And I had been doing it really like I had been sticking to my calorie goal like every day. Yeah. Super rigorously. And they gave this like calorie range. And I was at the bottom of it like every day. Nice. And for like three and a half weeks, I was just like not losing weight. I lost maybe a pound and a half. And the final, this final morning, I step on the scale, I see the number, it's still up there. And I just, I think I can't lose weight. I've reached a point in my life where I can't lose weight. I am doomed. I'm going to get type two diabetes. I'm going to die young. I'm going to miss Soren's life. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I was feeling despair. I was feeling like so despairing. And what I, what I explained to clients is like, That was my interpretation of the data of the number on the scale was Mm. all that stuff, right? Which led to the feeling of despair. That was my automatic thought, my automatic interpretation. And then I'll ask them, what, what are some alternate interpretations of that number? And some of the things that clients have said is like, well, were you building muscle? Because muscle weighs more than fat. So you might've been actually gaining some muscle weight while you're losing fat weight. And I say, good. I actually was, I was doing personal training, group, group, personal training and building muscle. So that could be part of it. And then the other thing that actually happened is I think that the Noom app just gave me a bad calorie number because I plugged in all my same info into two other, like, you know, how many calories a day calculators and both of the other ones kind of agreed with each other. And they were like four or 500 calories less oh, wow. a day yeah. than the Noom number. I started eating that number and I began losing weight. Hey. But what if my automatic interpretation when I had seen the number on the scale had not been, I'm, I can't lose weight. I'm going to die early. What if my interpretation had been, I bet you that the Noom calorie number is off. <laughs> How would I have felt differently? Yeah. Yeah. I would not have been in despair. Yeah. So you change your thoughts, you change your feelings. And if you change your feelings, you change your behaviors. So I was not motivated to eat well and exercise that morning with that interpretation. If I had thought, eh, it's just the app, I'll just try a different one. Then it wouldn't have changed my motivation to keep going. Wow. So that's cognitive therapy. And I 
have now had therapy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, you can you can bill me, you know, my... You got a little bit of psychoeducation. That's what you got. A little For psychoeducation. sure, I love it. It's great. I think, yeah, it's cool to see the kind of differences there. And I'm always interested in those sorts of things. I imagine many of the listeners are as well. I guess we'll find out with the hate mail or <laughs> more of this, please, emails. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. You have time for maybe a couple more? Let's do, let's do one more and wrap up. <sighs> Shoot. So hard to decide. All right. Well, last question. You can, uh, you can take it or leave it. You have cited many times the studies that say that Christianity and maybe religion overall is a net positive in most people's lives. It's religion overall. There, there's, there's no research I'm aware of that says Christianity is more of a net positive than any other yeah. religion. There's not, as, as far as I know, any sort of comparative stuff that puts one up against the other and, and shows one to be more effective. But yeah, religion as a whole is yeah. a net positive for the statistically average person. Yeah. yeah. So hypothetically... If Christianity or, or and or other religions turned out to have new evidence to show that they were not a net positive for someone's overall well-being, would you find it possible to stay? That's a great question. Yeah. Oh, I could definitely still stay because I'm not a statistically average person you know, in, in every in every sense. Like no one is, right? Not like, like other guys. <laughs> no, no, I mean, like, I mean that nobody is. Like everyone's got their own individual life, and they have to discern whether this is good for them or their mm. family, or likely to be good for their family or their children or whatever. So, you know, I am actually interested to see if that data will change, and I wonder if you know asking different sorts of questions or looking at different kinds of data, getting getting different information might sort of shift that larger conversation up till now. It's been, it's basically been agreed upon that, that it's, it's good for most people or the average person in a whole host of arenas, almost every area you'd kind of think of standard well-being for, for a person, physical health, mental health, you know, meaning in life, happiness, um, you know, all these things. So I'm curious if that will shift and if so, why? And I would be, I'll be following that pretty closely, I think. Yeah. But no, for me, I, I already know for me that a religious system that is not layering all this bullshit on me in an unhelpful and inaccurate way, it's definitely good for me. Yeah. So I don't think that that would, would shift it for me personally. It would shift what I said about religion. And I hope to follow that evidence as well as I can and be honest about it. And if it isn't very good for people... Then I, I, or not as many people or these types or whatever, like I, I want to follow the research where it leads. Yeah. And I, and I hope that I'll be able to do that and be clear about it. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad you answered that way because th this was my question. And, um, <laughs> the reason I asked and you might you're, have, you're willing to continue to work for me now and you don't have to quit this was and a, protest. This was a test. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> to overturn that consensus, we need like a hundred plus studies, right? Like, yeah, you don't, it's not like, Hey, we found this group of people in this study that showed this, like you, you know, you'd want longitudinal studies that go over decades of people's lives. Like you'd, you'd need a lot of evidence. I think that there's probably enough evidence to say that 
for certain groups of people, religion is not a net positive, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how easily it would, how easy it would be to define or identify those people except after the fact. Well, and I, so it turns out to have not been good for these people, but how, but would you have been able to know that going in such that you could predict it? That's much harder. Yeah. And maybe I problematize my own question by saying that it's asking for all or nothing thinking where it's like, is it all good or is it all bad? You know? Well, yeah. And we, I don't think you, no, I don't think that you're succumbing to that. And I, and I try and be really clear about this stuff, like for the average person, you know, and, and maybe we're not average, you know, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, I'm definitely extremely abnormal. (laughs) In some You're statistical like areas. Way off the bell curve in in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the lower side, the higher side just depends <laughs> on the question. Um, yeah. So, no, that's that's a good way to put it. I think the nuance is there. It's, it's good to think about. But, yeah. Uh, well, we got more questions for the future if we ever want to repeat this, Dan. Yeah. And people can send in questions. Uh, we'll figure out probably like maybe a, a form or an email address from which to which they can send them. And we'll put that in the show notes. We haven't determined yet what that will be, but we, we do want listener questions. We want to know what you guys are curious about, not just so that I could answer them or Kristen and I could answer them, or maybe sometimes I bring someone else on to help answer them. But also it's just good to know what listeners are curious about. Like, what are we all dealing with in this community? I, I really would like to be informed. I would like you have, to, you have permission to be in, as informed by listener questions as it possibly can be, essentially, hmm. to be a resource for people that actually meets you guys where you're at, actually helps. Aw, our hearts Aww. are warmed and we're feeling we bet, we need good. Some, like, <laughs> let's get like the last of the Mohicans soundtrack or something under this, like something really heart, isn't that you know, heart swelling and yeah, that might be illegal to do. We can't get oh, clearance for that. Maybe 30 seconds, like the iTunes store back in 2007. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe Josh can find something from my commercial catalog that feels like really heartwarming <laughs> and like just like such a loving way to end. I, I'm sure just try the orchestral tab josh and pull try something the, up try the hans zimmer tab <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh my gosh the hans zimmer tab all right sweet well thanks dan for joining us on you have permission the other back the b-sides the other cut the uncut gems of you have permission and we'll have you back anytime any day of the week any hour 24 7 <laughs> Kristen, thank you so much for your incredible idea for doing an episode like this that you don't remember having I will take credit now. (laughs) Oh, sweet.